Vince here from Baseball and Whatever. Do you like sports? Do you feel your current sporting news provider isn't giving you enough? If you answered yes to both of those, and I hope not out loud, go check out Belly Up Sports Network at bellyupsports.com. They have news articles and podcasts covering a wide variety of sports topics, from baseball to NASCAR. Belly Up Sports, for all your sporting news needs. What's up, guys? Justin here. Greg's here. Vinny's here. We are back with another episode of Baseball and Whatever after taking a nice uh, week off for New Year's last week. I think we'd done 35 weeks in a row and 75 pieces of content, so it was a nice little break. I didn't know what to do with my Thursday last week. I was I was exhausted. It was uh, it was peaceful. But uh, all, I, all I know is I was asleep. You were asleep. <laughs> it was it was just uh, it was it was a good turn of events to to take the night off. I think it all worked out. So we're back. We're recharged. Uh, we have an amazing special guest. Uh, we have referenced him many times, our New York Mets correspondent, but he is oh so much more. Uh, Jack Lugo, host of the Bond and Banter podcast, is here to join us. We're going to talk a little Bond, a little Mets, a little baseball, um, uh, some uh, some information about the 30 for 30 they did about Once Upon a Time in Queens that ESPN did um, about the 86 Mets. We'll get into all that. So, uh, again, if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. Uh, feel free to contact us at baseballandwhatever at gmail.com or baseballandwhateverpodcast at bellyupsports.com. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash baseballandwhatever and tweet us at baseballandwhat. And without further ado, I'm going to shut up and throw it to the man who orchestrated this amazing uh, interview we have planned for you guys. Greg, take it away. Thank you, Justin. As Justin said, joining us this evening is the host of the Bond and Banter podcast, Jack Lugo himself, also a longtime contributor to uh, James Bond Radio and the Comics of Bond. Jack, welcome to Baseball and Whatever. Thank you for joining us. You, you seem like a good fit for us. We got a lot of the uh, same interests in our podcasts are even structured similarly. So uh, thank you yeah. for jumping on with us. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, we, we talked about this when you came on to my podcast, uh, Greg, uh, both of our podcasts are kind of structured very similarly. Um, what I, what I start off my, uh, where my, mine is a, a, is a bond podcast and we start off with a sketch. Uh, each guest, uh, I have a guest on every episode and eat, and every, for every episode, we, we start off the episode with like a sketch that's very, focused on bond and really you know uh the like the my guest plays a character and i interview them in character and a lot of hilarity ensues and then uh you know after the sketch is over i you know we we say goodbye to the fictional guest and then i talk to my guests for real and we just basically we talk we, we don't just talk about james bond we talk about uh you know whatever uh uh we have in common whether it's books movies music whatever you know um and it uh, you guys uh, you know i've listened to a lot of uh your episodes Episodes and it, it's it's very similar uh, with the the kind of structure you guys you know obviously talk baseball but you also you know kind of you, you brought in uh, to other topics topics as well so uh, yeah no it's it's fun to be here I and mean, thank thank you for having me 
We always said, Jack, that we would always shoot ourselves. It was just baseball, especially oh, yeah. now if we had to do a podcast with an MLB. Like we would literally have nothing else to uh, talk about. So that's why we introduced whatever so we could keep it fun. Um, and yes, I was a guest on Bonded Banter. You can go check that out. Um, I got to say, Jack, when we when I first got take, took a look at the questionnaire that you sent me for uh, the uh, sketch comedy bit, I was kind of uh, I was a little uh, nervous about that because those questions looked very hard. And I know you had Shayla Miller on your pot, your uh, podcast, too. She's been a frequent guest and um, she was on after me one time. And she was, are these questions usually that hard? We were texting back and forth. And I'm like, yeah, but, um, you know, so get a good starting point and then just kind of take off from there. Do the best you can. So, uh, yeah, um, it, it was uh, it, we had to do some thinking, but it was it was a lot of fun to do in the end. So and terrifying. But uh, you well, know, I, I appreciate it. Both you and Shayla did great. I also have a uh, bill is also a frequent guest. Yes, on we had Bill on. Yep. Well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it does take a little bit of effort with the uh, with the improv portion. Like, uh, but we, we try to keep it fun. So I, I, I am trying to get more guests in the bond fan community to come on with me because some of them just get intimidated by the whole sketch it, process. It can be intimidating, yeah. <laughs> but like once you get through it, it's a lot of fun. And, yeah. And and the conversation afterwards is always very light. And, oh yeah. You know, very we, easy we, going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a ball. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you, Jack, really quick before we get started. We've been podcasting for what, nine months now, guys? Or something uh, like that. April to spring. January. Yeah, April okay. to January. Something like that. Um, Jack, how did you how did you get involved with um podcasting? Was it I know I first heard you on JBR. This was maybe what, oh gosh, six years ago. Was that kind of like your first step into the podcast world? We know you've done movie reviews, obviously you host now, but what was kind of like that intro into podcasting for you? Um yeah, it was uh finding JBR. I, I hadn't really been that much into podcasts or anything. Uh this was back in around like 2014, and uh, JBR had just started their podcast. So I was just kind of looking for a James Bond podcast, and I saw that this James Bond radio podcast had just started uh, around the same time that I was looking at podcasts, and I decided decided to uh to give it a listen and you know um and this was like maybe they had maybe three or four episodes by that yeah point. yeah it was very <laughs> it was new very very early days uh of podcasting and um and i just I, I got in touch with tom and chris and um you know it started with me just writing blog posts for their website because uh when you start a podcast you usually uh either have a website or you need a web page to kind of host the 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 show uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they were trying to come up with ideas for content for the website itself, uh, rather, you know, other than just the, the episodes they were doing. So that's when I started contributing blog, blog posts, uh, you know, various, you know, things that, you know, sort of, uh, was, were sort of like a companion pieces to the episodes that they were doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, if there was a topic that sort of sparked my interest, I would, you know, look into it, do some research and, and there would be a blog post about it. Uh, so I did that for a while. And then after, uh, after a few years, um, you know, I started, they asked me to kind of, uh, help them run their social media. Um, you know, so like, uh, the, their Facebook and Twitter posts and stuff. And, you know, basically just sort of keep things current. If there's like bond news that, um, cause what would happen is uh, initially what I would do is I, if there was a big bond, if there was bond news that I would send the piece to them, like a variety article or whatever it was, I would send it to them and then they would post it but I, 
you know, rather than go through that process, it was just easier if I just posted myself. So they gave me access to the, to their, you know, social media pages. And, you know, basically I, I just, um, you know, uh, kind of help sort of, you know, keep the fan, the, the followers up to date with whatever's going on in the world of Bond. And then eventually, you know, they, they, they invited me to, to do more and like come on the podcast with them. And, uh, you know, I, and then I eventually ended, ended up posting the, uh, the comics of Bond sec, sec segments, which were basically, um, you know, for those unfamiliar, um, you know, Bond actually started off, started off as a comic strip before the films, even like the comic strip started in like 1958. Um, and there have been comic iterations of Bond, um, you know, ever since. And, um, you know, and a lot of the fans are either are not aware of it. I mean, some of the hardcore fans are, you know, a lot of the hardcore fans are aware of them, but, but it's, it's a fun thing to investigate because it's other, uh, you know, iterations of the character that that maybe aren't you know that aren't as uh, you know out there as uh the mainstream you know the, the mainstream fans aren't really aware of um and you know different creative people are behind the, the those uh and the, you know the those projects those comics projects so it's interesting to sort of get into uh what creative decisions they make as opposed to um you know the creative decisions that like people at eon make who make the films and stuff um uh, and even like the people who do the continue the authors to do the continuation novels mm-hmm. and stuff so um yeah it's it's um you know it, it just kind of you know it started with the, like initially just me contacting tom and chris and be like hey can i help out and then it just kind <laughs> of evolved from there and you joined the family from there pretty much so yeah, <laughs> yeah no sorry it's a long answer <laughs> no it's okay no, it's good that's okay that's a lot better than our our story our story was hey should we start a podcast we're like yeah let's see how it goes <laughs> yeah is, any, is anyone gonna listen uh, I don't well, know lo, lo sure. and behold we're here lo and behold yeah, we're yeah. here and it actually well, turned out to be something bigger than we thought so and then and then last year you know we were dealing with covid and um yeah i, I i'm good friends with uh, with bill koenig who does the spy command and he was a guest on your podcast yeah uh and i chat with him and then uh, while we were chatting he, he just happened to mention that um he does a good uh, michael g wilson impression um <laughs> so for those people yes, he does. Who, who aren't aware uh, michael g wilson is one of the co-producers of the bond franchise along with his half sibling uh barbara broccoli uh so uh, i I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if he did his his Michael G. Wilson impression? And I, I you know, and I interviewed him in character and like, you know, I do like a sketch. And that's how and the idea sort of evolved from that. And I took influences from like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a long time Howard Stern listener. Um, I've been listening since I was in high school. So like it, Howard Stern would have like these, um, like a fake David Letterman or a fake Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, impersonator call in. And like, yeah, it would be crazy. Like, because it would, it would just be funny. And then there, there are some news outlets that would like think that it was the real Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think one time he had almost like the, the, the impersonator uh and at the time he was governor of california and he was talking about blowing up the moon to like stop women's periods or whatever and like news actual news outlets would, would pick up the story like oh governor Arnold schwarzenegger you know wants to blow up the moon <laughs> you know? it was crazy but but basically you know they're like fun little things that you know sketches and stuff that, that, that 
I, I appealed to me. Uh, and I, I, I figured, you know, uh, with the Bond uh, universe, that there are, you know, there are a whole bunch of characters outside of just, you know, the main characters of Bond and, you know, yeah. Money mm-hmm. Penny and whatever. Um, so, like, you know, someone could come on and play Blofeld. Someone could come on and play Willard White, like Greg did. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I was just into and And you get different perspectives into, like, the lives of those characters in the films just by, you know, talking and stuff. Um, so that's kind of the idea that sort of evolved from that of just, like, getting together with, with friends and like-minded people fans uh and just sort of uh you know you you kind of gain a fresh perspective um into you know these characters and make you look at the the characters and the the universe of bond in a new way sounds good (laughs) yeah that's exactly what uh (laughs) what we had going on there and as intimidating as it was and trying to make up a backstory was still a lot of fun because it was it left a lot of stuff open for interpretations i i I gotta say though uh Greg and, and Jack, to your credit, I, I'll be the first to admit, I besides Goldeneye and then playing a bunch of Bond video games, I don't know. I couldn't. I mean, I know who Sean Connery is. I know who all these people are. But the the fact that the the improv and as somebody who did improv and theater and stuff in high school, so that aspect, but then also combining that with Bond and then also having the podcast, like I love listening to your show. So somebody who doesn't even have a Bond background, I, I think it's a great, great combination. So well done. I mean, I don't know what that means coming from a non Bond fan, but well done in general. So, yeah. Um, Greg's character, Willard White, um, was based on Howard Hughes. And yeah, as you know, you know, obviously he's a reclusive, you know, eccentric millionaire, billionaire, yeah. whatever. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, he has this thing about like, um, he spent a lot of time in the bathroom and like Greg as, as Willard White would be like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be in the John, which is where I do all my best thinking. And it was like, you know, it was, it was just funny. Like, so Greg did a phenomenal yeah. job. I had so much fun with Greg. You know? It was a good time. It was a good time. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll dive into some bond here. Um, so so one of our actually, I think our very first guest, I still don't know how, why he came on, but he was nice enough to come on. Um, Joe Darlington, who I know you've collaborated with as well. Uh, one of the big things we talked with him was we talked a lot about Goldeneye and the movie and the video game and, and just growing up with that. At least for me, it was it was a big deal. But um, first question, have you did you ever play Goldeneye? Did you get into it as well? What was your take on it? And then I'll, I'll ask you a follow up one after that. Okay, well, well, Joe actually, I think lives about like fifteen minutes away from mm. me. Um, so we, um, you know, I mean, I don't see him a whole lot because you know he works, I work, and all sure. that stuff. But, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I chat with him, and I've gotten together with him on his uh, on his show. Um, and um, yeah, basically, uh, yeah, Goldeneye, uh, the video game. I don't have any strong mem- memories of uh, the the original Goldeneye uh, Nintendo sixty four mm-hmm. game. I think by the time the Nintendo 64 came out. I did have one. I I do remember playing the game, but I I think I was maybe like 16 or 17 years old by that time. So sure. I, I had kind of grown out of because I used to love playing video games. I, I the original I uh, Nintendo oh yeah and, and Super Nintendo systems. Uh, I was really hardcore into those. Um, by the time Nintendo 64 came out, I was I I still got it and I was still into it, but I I wasn't playing video games as much as I was when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I when i got older though um i um you know well, well since we've had tommy we we um we still have our wii mm-hmm. the, wii, the nintendo wii i think we have a wii u 
actually now and uh we we got the the they came out with a version of the golden eye game for the yeah 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 daniel craig uh daniel craig. <laughs> yeah so i guess it's a licensing thing like um whoever the current bond is i gets to be uh the character so so yeah no, i actually pulled this out uh because in case you guys were gonna mention. oh there you go perfect <laughs> there, it is. there it is yep. right there yeah yeah so i i you know i have this i've been playing this you know for a few years now i still haven't gotten very far <laughs> uh, well it's hard on the, it's hard on the wheel it wasn't designed yeah, for a game is. like that almost so. it is like this the when you you have to have the nunchuck and like a and like a rifle thing <laughs> yes. and, and, and the remote and, and like pointing yeah yeah and the way you play it, like I, i'm terrible at it so i mean I, I i do play it on occasion sometimes i get in the mood to play it uh but the the original 99 uh the the and the n64 game um yeah i, I mean it, it was incredible i mean it, it was a fun game to play i remember but uh i don't i don't have too many strong memories of playing it it was i mean but it is a phenomenal game and it's mm-hmm. a, it was a game changer for first person shooters like oh yeah you know, yeah pretty revolutionary yeah. and they got a lot of kids into uh um, into bond at that time which i think is something that's missing now i think like uh the way that the franchises <laughs> run now it, they don't really make that much of an effort to appeal to younger generation uh, well i i think that's that's a that's a really great point so that leads me to my follow-up is um on twitter a few gosh days ago a few weeks ago as soon as i saw it i immediately had to you sent it to me just because i, like, right I knew yeah. I, I know who it was going to apply to but <laughs> um, it, it leaked recently that there it looked like there was a remaster of Goldeneye coming out for the new new generation of consoles. So do you think I mean, big picture, do you think that's something that maybe they're planning to kind of re-release the game in part of like the 60th anniversary? Or maybe is that to try and draw in new fans who maybe haven't experienced, you know, uh, Goldeneye and Pierce Brosnan and all that? Or do you, do you think or do you think it's just kind of a cash dump like, hey, we know we can make some money on this. We might as well release it again. It really depends on the um, the company making it. Okay. Um, I, I I mean I I don't mean to sound cynical, but it it could possibly just be a cash grab. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, mean, well, I got my cash. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the sad thing. Yeah. I'm hoping that it isn't. I mean, I, I, I might look into getting it regardless, but um, but yeah, I, I I'm sure that there will be some effort to market it to, mm-hmm. to, to but but the, I, to me I, I just don't think they're doing enough to appeal to younger generation like yeah like, i think bond should really be a part of comic con like I, I i don't understand why there isn't a yeah. bond panel at comic con yeah that would be a um, huge market know. to tap into right yeah it just and yeah the, developing more video games i know they, they've done some things with like uh there was one that was like uh you can the, 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 there's a racing game where mm-hmm. like, you can drive the aston martin and stuff oh yeah that was forza horizon 4 that had a dlc it had that in there yeah. like yeah 12 of the bond cars or something so but uh but yeah i think you need like an xbox or something I'm like, yeah I it was an xbox one <laughs> yeah. or yeah xbox yeah. one i think it was so like um yeah I, I, I like those things would be great i mean i know kid you know like my but my son is into roblox and stuff and so i mean yeah uh, um th- th- they they do need to sort of branch out and sort of try to reach the younger generation mm-hmm. you know? because i i feel like the the, the demographics are, are you know those of us who are into bond are, are tend to be older and stuff i, I mean I, I don't have any background in marketing or anything like that but i would think if you made and granted i don't know how the bond purists would feel about this but if you made a show similar to the way star wars is doing their the mandalorian and boba fett if you took something like a, a young james bond and made a a series or um 
you know, a mini series. I think you would, that'd be a gold mine. You would get new people in if it was decent, but it sounds like, I mean, from what I've read about Eon, it sounds like they're very against anything like that. Is that they're sound very, about right? They're very resistant and actually they already uh, exist. Like the, the literary bond has been a bit looser because uh, the uh, Ian Fleming um, uh, publications, they, they actually did license um, um, some authors to write a young bond series taking place um, it, around, um, you know, before World War II. So like the 1930s uh, when bond would have been like 13 and there is a, a, a um, a series of young bond books that are actually really good they're actually historical novels and mm. you know the author uh, charlie hickson who wrote like the, the first five or six of them um he actually you know used certain historical events as like the backdrops of like okay this is what the young bond experienced back in the 1930s and you know this led to that and it sort of leads into um what could be the, like the literary bond uh that fleming created so like it's it actually uh, you know it honors the spirit of Fleming's creation, you know, so it's so it's not just like you know, um, you know, a kid's book. It's it's actually something that adults can enjoy too. I wish they would pursue something like that um, mm -hmm. with um, you know, like if now that Amazon uh, is looking to acquire MGM, um, they they they're going to want more Bond content. So I'm hoping that they would sort of explore that. But uh, but Barbara Broccoli, and Michael G. Wilson, uh, who run Eon, are have been they're uh, too so, old. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, they they want to just dinosaurs. Have, they want to put out a film every five or six years, and yeah, I think absolute the torture. Franchise, no reason out, for that. You can't, you know, you have to keep your franchise out there and in, in, in the popular culture if you want it to remain relevant. And uh, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> they seem to to look at you know want to first you know keep going the old fashioned kind of keep the status quo. Yeah, which uh, you know I don't understand. I, I I know there are, there are Bond fans who who disagree who are totally with them and don't want to see any of that, but I'm not one of them. I I would rather that they put out more content and actually you know something them. anything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't keep talking about the same yeah 24 25 movies you know left and right. So not that I you know because I'll never stop talking about them, but yeah. it'd be nice. I to think even even like an stuff. animated series you can do yeah. like a, a series like an animated young Bond series uh and it doesn't have to conflict with whatever they want to do with yeah. the films it, it can yeah. just be its own continuity continuity its own thing um uh, but so far they've been very resistant you know and that's something yeah. that we talk a lot about on my podcast with you know uh, oh yeah Greg and, and bill you know we, we always <laughs> complain about um <laughs> eon's sort of old-fashioned thinking mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Uh, Vinny, I'm going to throw it to you now. All right. Uh, Jack, uh, unlike Justin, I've actually seen. <laughs> I haven't seen that many more, but I've seen more than him. Uh, and I'm, I haven't seen uh, No Time to Die yet. But unfortunately, the big, uh, big spoiler was revealed to me. Um, <laughs> I was there for this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you were. <laughs> yep. So it happened live. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Common occurrence where big spoilers are ruined for me. Um, <laughs> question for you. Will I be able to still enjoy the movie knowing knowing the big spoiler in it? 
It depends. I mean, I kind of knew the spoiler um, beforehand too, because I, I, you know, I was told to sort of get off Twitter because what happened with what happens with Bond is that they release the film in the UK about like eight days or two weeks sometimes before it gets released in the, in the United States. So they have the 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 UK premiere, um, the, which they call the world, which is like the royal world world premiere. They have members of the royal family come and and like some, um, you know, in influencers in the bond communities uh, get to go like tom and chris um uh and other you know like bond podcasters yeah. and stuff they they get um they, you know they, they, i mean it's it's sort of uncertain every time whether or not they can go but the, they've they've gone to like the last two for specter and then for you know time to die uh so um so they get to see the film before anyone else and then usually they're very uh, you know usually they're very good about spoilers um you know like obviously tom and chris were avoided talking spoilers but on twitter you'll see you know fans who have gone to the premiere um or have gone to see the bond film before it comes out in the u.s and they'll and i did run across um yeah i guess it i don't know I, i've been avoided avoiding sort of saying who it is because um who, who was that spoiler for me but i guess now it's kind of <laughs> it's, it's been enough time that i don't think that they would get you know in trouble really but it was andrew lysett who actually wrote a um a couple fleming uh wrote a Fleming biography uh, that, um, that that I followed on Twitter, and he actually posted something about how, you know, um, well, I get, uh, this is a spoiler. I'm, now I'm spoiling it for anyone who hasn't seen the film. But, um, <laughs> so spoiler alert, if, if you haven't seen No Time to Die, like, skip over the section because yeah. I don't want to get in trouble. I, I'll be, you know, guilty of the same thing. Uh, so so I'm, I'm sure the spoiler that you're talking about is that Bond dies in the film. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so Andrew Lice had sort of I came across a tweet from him and, um, you know, I, and I kind of tried to shut it out of my mind because at the same time, like, even though he's, you know, I don't think he had any reason to make anything up when he tweeted that. So I, I kind <laughs> of, yeah, I didn't have any reason to believe that he was lying, but I did sort of like shut it out of my memory. You know, I tried to watch the film objectively without that in my mind. And I, I was able to do it. And I, I think like, even if you know what happens in the film, um, you can still enjoy it. I mean, I, you know, uh, like, I think I, the first I think I would say the first half is probably the most enjoyable because that's just kind of like classic uh yeah you know shoot 'em up kind of Roger Mori style bond a little bit. So yeah, this is just my opinion. But is yeah, I mean you get to see the DB five really in action for the yes. first time because because even though we've had the DB five a lot in especially in you know in Daniel Craig's run, um we haven't really seen it in a proper chase. Uh, so I'm glad we, I know Bond fans complain about seeing the DB5 too much because you don't want it. And I don't get why. Like, that's a, that's a state. I mean, it's, it's, it's a state when we finally see it with machine guns and everything, yeah. so, you know, I mean, so. And Skyfall, it was just like in a stationary position. It was in front of the house, uh, you know, in front of the, the, the yeah. property and, and, it, and you got to see it shoot the guns, but it, you didn't actually see it you know in a chase like you you got to see it driving you know because they drove they have to drive to this scotland location and stuff but you didn't actually see it in action like you know in a ch in a proper chase so right. in no time to die you do get a really good db5 chase and then there's also a really good um uh cuba sequence with uh with um with anna de armis yeah who is in phenomenal in this movie like she stayed i mean uh, great casting with her um and this was before like knives out uh 
but because they filmed this before Knives Out, or was it afterwards? They she filmed can't... it after Knives Out. Oh, okay. She, she, she had Knives. starred Knives Knives Out along with yeah. Craig, uh, and she plays like a, a a CIA sort of agent who's sort of like, you know, um, only been in training for a couple of weeks, and you know, Bond isn't sure how she's going to do in the field with her, and then you know, lo and behold, she she actually really you know does phenomenally well, and you know, she's able to you know shoot and you know uh do martial arts and all that stuff so it's 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 it, you know there's some great fight sequences um so yeah i i think knowing the ending of a film doesn't necessarily you know keep you from enjoying it uh if it's a good film so yeah i i, I, I the, but but the one thing i will say about this movie is that i think your enjoyment of it like whether you like it or not depends a lot on how invested you are in the romance of bond and madeline swan the 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 two characters who were in madeline was also inspector she was the she became the main love interest in the specter movie which was the previous film so if, if you are invested in in their romance you know then it's it, you're gonna really like it if you're not really that invested in it um this film may change your mind because i i really wasn't really convinced about their romantic relationship in the prior film but i i i do think that this film really does cement their relationship so you have to kind of be open to a, a story that sort of explores um the you know uh what bond is like in relationships which is kind of like you know if you're going to a bond movie you're going there for you know a lot of people go there for action they're not necessarily going to see going to want to see a movie that explores bonds trust issues and um (laughs) that kind of thing that being in a you know romantic relationship and stuff um if you're open to that then yeah this movie is for you if you're not open to that and you just want you know and you just want to see wall-to-wall action then this film is you know will probably let you down in some ways um so it really depends i i i am kind of like open open-minded when it comes to um that kind of stuff i i, I don't mind seeing a good solid romance uh along with bond so i you know and it, 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 it so i enjoyed it um but uh you know i, I think everyone's different I, it's been a divisive film like i i, I so i i can't you know, I can't blame anyone for not liking it. I, I know I got into I got into some trouble because I, I I think I was trying to explain this on Twitter, and because of the character limit or the way context works on Twitter, people sort of misinterpreted what I said. Uh, <laughs> and they, oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, they, the, <laughs> I, I will say before you before you go on, Jack, I will say you were much more civil than I was. Oh yeah, so. yeah, that was oh boy. <laughs> yeah, because like I guess, you know, and maybe I you know, I I, I probably wrote it in a way that it could be taken out of the context, but basically, you know, like having you know watching a like approaching a bond film where you know you're dealing with trust issues and relationships you know you basically it's kind of mature subject subject matter you know in a way you know that that you're not used to seeing in a bond film like you're used to seeing that in other more dramatic films but not necessarily in bond uh so i guess i i I wrote something i was trying to explain that and then someone interpreted as me saying oh well if you don't like this film you're immature (laughs) which (laughs) is not what i meant at all it's it's basically that yes this the film sort of you know it has this sort of mature subject matter that you're 
that you're kind it of, has more it has more really, dramatic themes it has more right. you know like quote-unquote adult themes to it it's a little it's, it's deeper than your you know your traditional like you know roger moore raising an eyebrow sort yeah. of thing right. so like, oh james you know it's not it's less of that so right it, it's which it's, i do it's, miss too it's so. not a it's not a romp <laughs> it's not you know like like necessarily like the previous bond movies and yeah, right. there are more adult themes yes. um uh that you have to sort of be open to and you know and receptive to and you know there are bond fans uh, who have been fans for a long time longer than me and longer than you know uh the, who are not necessarily receptive to that that they did yeah. they just want to go to bond and have a good time and feel good about the character and sort of be invigorated by the end of the film and um you know and then so uh, those fans left disappointed um and then uh but they are you know but if you're uh, the type of fan who's kind of open to you know exploring you know the more adult themes and you know and more receptive to the dramatic um you know aspect of the film uh then then you then you're you're more likely to enjoy it uh so it really just depends on you know how you approach the film okay Great. Well, I'm still excited to it's see. It's a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, adds adds a little bit more for me going into it, knowing what it's going to be about. Um, Greg complains a lot about Eon Productions. <laughs> I think Justin and I can agree. Maybe a yeah. little. Yeah. I've I've learned a lot about Eon through osmosis of Greg's complaining and venting. I think. And he yeah. didn't even ask to learn about it. He just it's just knowledge that he's inherited, and he's like, I don't know what to do with this. So, yeah, time on Eon Productions. But um, one thing I did pitch to Greg um, that I might as well ask you: uh, uh, we would like to have you back on, um, but would you like to come back on when uh, there is a new James Bond actor? And how long do you think that? <laughs> gonna be before that picture, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah well of course I, i'd love to come on anytime um, hopefully i come back on before they pick a new bond actor <laughs> it might be a while because <laughs> it might it might be a while like i i know there are some fans who are hopeful that they might make an announcement this year because it's the 60th anniversary of the film franchise this year um but i i'm doubtful um because i think they, they they're they're gonna want to take some time and usually i don't think they're gonna announce the new actor until they're ready to just to begin filming the next film they yeah, shooting yeah. the next film so they would need a script already and a director and all that stuff uh and then and also we don't know how the amazon deal is going to shape up uh um, yeah so i i have a feeling we're not going to hear anything from the bond franchise at all this year um so i i, I think that the earliest we'll probably hear an announcement as to who the new actor will be will probably be next year or, or maybe even the year after. Uh, so and that's, Jack's and, usually spot on with, with this stuff. So I know, I know he's right. I don't want him to be right, but no, he's according to Eon. Like that is, that is like soonest, you know, that, that we could hear something, but ugh. Yeah, yeah and long. also they, they they had this thing that they they want Daniel Craig to sort of enjoy his moment. I mean they they I mean Barbara Broccoli has been very enamored 
with Daniel Craig to the point that we, we do make fun of it on my podcast. Uh, it's, I'm sorry, it's been 15 years. <laughs> he's had it for 15 years. He's the longest tenure guy. I think he's I think he's enjoyed it long enough, Jack. So. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that would be my position too. Like I like Daniel Craig, but I, I feel like he's had his moment. You know? Yes, for a long time. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a while, uh, and I don't think I, I don't think when they when they do announce the next actor, I, I don't think it'll be anyone who's who's sort of been floated around uh, right. in the media as a potential new actor. Like I don't think it'll be Henry Cavill or any of the people they're talking about. I think like Tom be, Hardy or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I think it'll be someone that we that like is barely on our radar. That we don't even know. We're not really even paying attention to right now, or we might even know even an unknown. Right. Um, at the time, because Daniel Craig was a very, I mean, he was in a lot of stuff, but he wasn't in kind of like in a mainstream Hollywood films or what I think the biggest, I mean, obviously Layer Cake came out right before, but then he had a supporting role in Tomb Raider and a couple other, a uh, couple other smaller films. So, I mean, he was in Road to Perdition, but uh, yeah, just kind of off everyone's radar. So, yeah, I have a feeling it'll be the same with uh, yeah. the next actor as well. So, I gotta say, with that, with that, oh, sorry, Vinny. No, I was gonna say, who do you who would you like to see be the next James Bond? Um, uh, honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I, it's hard to say. I, like, I'm not really enthusiastic about any of the ones that are sort of, you know, been like any like Henry Cavill, or Tom Hardy, or any. I'm not really that enthusiastic. Like, like, if Henry Cavill got it, I would be okay with it, but it would be a safe choice. Um, yeah. I, I think that I think that it is likely that there'll be an actor of color. I know um, for a while Idris Alba has been uh, floated as you know like, but this was around the time of Spectre. Like he's actually probably a little too old for the role right now, and I, I think they did kind of talk to him about maybe appearing as a villain in the next Bond movie, uh, which would be great. I mean Idris Alba is a phenomenal actor, and I think he would have made a great Bond if they had gotten to him sooner. Like if they had uh, signed him up like right after specter debuted yeah and in, instead of sticking sticking with daniel craig for like six for another six years while they make this movie, <laughs> um they, they i think idris alba could have made a phenomenal bond uh but i don't i don't think it's too late right now i think he's he's too old um you know because you, you, you know how many movies are you gonna make you know once the actor's already you know well into their 50s um so it's you know I, I don't I, I I don't know. I mean, there's no name that I'm sort of like lobbying for right now. I'm still upset about that. I know you touched on the Amazon deal, but that whole digital code thing with the 4K <laughs> Blu-ray that was only on iTunes. I was like, here's a here's a here's MGM being bought by Amazon. You know, be, there's oh, movies yeah. being released by Universal, but the digital code only works on iTunes. Yeah, so I, was, I, was I saw your, about your, that. your tweet about that. Um, yeah, because I, I actually I got the same code. Like I, I bought um, <clears throat> uh, the 4K version of No Time yeah. to Die, and I I do use the, the iTunes because you're able on because I, I even though um, well I haven't uh, have like an older generation uh, Apple TV that I don't use that much, uh, but I have a Fire Stick. Um, and on the fire stick, you can download the Apple TV app. So you can access your, the movies that you buy on iTunes on your fire stick through the Apple TV app on the okay. fire stick. So it Maybe doesn't work, to do but, that. You, but you can't get the special features on that. So like the only way you can get the special features, um, uh, you know, is through, is, is through an Apple TV. If you, if you're 
you know, getting, you know, doing the iTunes. So I didn't mind that it was Apple TVs. What I was more upset about is that for, for Christmas, I got the, um, uh, the Daniel Craig collection on 4k and yeah. that, came, that came with the digital code and you can only redeem that at voodoo. And I, I don't use voodoo. It's connected to Fandango and I actually tried to redeem it. And then like, I, I, I've, it told me that I had like a voodoo account set up and I couldn't remember the password. <laughs> and then, I, then I went to forget password and, you know, I tried to get a new yeah. password and I never, they never, I, I kept trying to get it. And like, the, they never sent me, you know, they're supposed to send you an email to renew your password or, you know, to, to do a new password. And I never got the email. So I was like, you know, I'm never getting, get this digital. I, and I wouldn't have a way to watch it anyway, because I don't know if I can connect voodoo to my fire stick or whatever. So it's like, it's not even worth it. But, but you, uh, you would think that like, you, at least for that collection, the, the, the first, uh, the other, you know, um, the, the first four that Daniel Craig did, that they would at least have the iTunes option, but it's, it's only voodoo. Um, so <laughs> like who uses voodoo? I don't know. And I, I doubt anyone I know uses voodoo. Well, a couple of people on Twitter were using Voodoo, but I think they were the only two. So, like I said, I, th- I think I have a Voodoo account, but I haven't accessed it probably since I created the account. So, yeah, I it's, think it's, most of my stuff is on probably probably Am- Amazon because I got a large Amazon library of digital codes and stuff like that. So, uh, well, I do have an iTunes account. Maybe I'll resurrect it or something, <laughs> or you know, just give. I should just trade it with you, Jack. You give me your Voodoo <laughs> one. I'll give you my iTunes one, so you can have two. So, but yeah, the special features are all I want to watch. The uh, the the Blu-rays just for the collection. That's just for the 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 appearance on the shelf. Because I watch all the special features, and then I turn on Diamonds Are Forever. So, and then call it a night. So, <laughs> um, that was a uh, that was a bit upsetting. But um, I want to shift gears a little bit um, because you are a huge Mets fan. We are a baseball podcast. And we wanted to touch on both, obviously. So, but to give you a little history of us first, I mean, we, we haven't been, since we started this, we haven't been the biggest uh, Met supporters uh, over these. I know, I know Justin had a couple, uh, Justin I, he had a couple of run-ins. I, uh, I had a bad experience at my bachelor party that, and I can't, I shouldn't say this is all Mets fans, but the, the three or four that were sitting next to us were, Vinny, how would you describe them? I don't, I don't know. They were pretty. I thought it was like, Two Mets fans, and there were like two Cubs fans with them too. It wasn't. <laughs> no, well, no, Cubs fans are an annoying bunch too. I will be the first to admit that. <laughs> then they were making fun of another Mets fan who had like a Matt Harvey, like that's right, jersey that it looked like it, he just opened it up out of the packet. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. How long ago was it? That? Uh, this would have been twenty thirteen. Uh, so oh, okay. Matt Harvey, Matt, was, still Matt Harvey was still good. Yeah. He was still yeah. the Gotham Knight. Yeah. Yeah, right? so, yeah. Um, but Jack, since we've started this podcast, you know, we've connected with uh, many Mets fans, yourself included uh, over social media and uh, guest appearances on uh, respective podcasts. So, um, so kind of give us the background. How, how did you become a Mets fan? Why the, why the Mets over the, uh, the Yankees there in New York? Okay. Well, I grew up in Queens. I live in New Jersey now, but I pretty much lived like all my life in Queens before I, I yep. lived in New Jersey for about three years now. Uh, so b- b- before that I've lived in Queens all my life. And then, um, I was, um, my maternal grand, I used to spend summers with my maternal grandparents in Puerto Rico. And my, my grandfather, uh, was a, a Dodgers fan, a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. 
man. And um, when they moved to, to Los Angeles, he he kind of became a Mets fan by default. Uh, but he would still root for the Dodgers if the Mets were playing the Dodgers, or you know, and, and if the Dodgers you know got to the playoffs, he'd root for the Dodgers. Um, but but you know, basically, I grew up as a Mets fan, and, and then my dad uh, kind of introduced me to the Mets. Uh, and then it was kind of cooler to be a Mets fan when I was little. Like when I was a kid, you know, back in the eighties, like it, it was cooler to be a Mets fan than it was to be a Yankees fan. I mean, and not just because we were in Queens, but the, the Mets had a lot going for them at that time. You know, uh, you know, I, I grew up, I was like maybe, you know, six or seven years old in the 86 season. And I remember going to, you know, being in little league and like, you know, trying to do like, I was a catcher. So I was trying to, to like, um, you know, do Gary Carter's uh, batting stance, uh, you know, when I was a little, in little league and like, I, I, there were other kids who were um, Yankees fans, but it felt like the only thing the Yankees had going for them at that time in the eighties was, uh, you know, they had Don Manley and they had Dave Winfield and, uh, and obviously they had an obnoxious, the rich owner you know, in George Steinbrenner and yeah, and George Steinbrenner would even like, you know, reprimand the players. He would call Dave Winsfield, Mr. May. Um, and like, you know, because he, you know, uh, obviously making that sort of comparison to Reggie Jackson, Reggie Jackson was Mr. October. Dave Winfield was Mr. May. Um, so like, um, yeah, I, I just, the, the Yankees just seemed like an obnoxious team when I was a kid. And I, I, I just wanted to, you know, like to, to me, it was cool to be a Mets fan at that time. Uh, so I and that's the, the team that I kind of that, that I stuck with and you know I mean I I had have a lot of fond memories of you know following those those 80s Mets teams um, you know uh, I guess I, I just I kind of grew up around the, the right time to be a Mets fan and, and to be from Queens um, so th that's kind of how that sort of uh, evolved <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I guess for prior to the lockout, which is going on, what, month number two at this point, I think, Greg, it, it seems like it's been an eternity. But uh, I, I think prior to that, you were our number one Mets contributor. So thank you, first of all, Jack. But this offseason in terms of the Mets, I mean, you have the Eduardo Escobar signing. Uh, you have the Steve, Steve Cohen getting upset with Steven Matz when he oh, didn't yeah. sign with them. You have, you know, the, the Mets front office is getting all shook up just because of the signings of Mark Kana and Starling Marte. You got uh, Max Scherzer coming. You got Buck Showalter coming in. You still have, you know, Francisco Lindor and, and Greg's guy, James McCann, which I think he's still upset the Sox let him go. But um, James McCann and, and, Pete, and, <laughs> and Pete Alonso, too, and, and Brandon Nimmo and Nemo. And, and I mean, all these guys that look amazing. So I guess what I'm asking is they finished in third last year. How do you feel about going into this season whenever it starts, if it starts? How, where do you see them ending up uh, in a perfect world, I guess? Uh, well, they, I mean, they, on paper, they, they look great. My concern is that, you know, the hitting, uh, yeah, <laughs> because uh, obviously, you know, we're known to sort of with DeGrom and, and all these prior seasons, uh, you know, every time DeGrom would start, he, he would have an amazing start and the Mets would like score like one run for him, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, so, um, I think they are looking to once the, the lockout ends, they are looking to do more. I know they I think they were looking into Chris Bryant, uh, so um, if they do get Chris Bryant, they, I think they would move Escobar to wow. second to second base, mm -hmm. uh, and then I think they are looking to trade McNeil. So, um, uh, uh, so we'll see. He's what probably, we he might end up a White Sox. There's yeah, a lot of McNeil, McNeil White yeah. Sox rumors. 
Yeah, McNeil I'll take might, him. might end up going to the White Sox. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, there are. I mean, I, I, obviously, everything is dependent on the the lockdown, the lockout ending. Um, but uh, they are looking to make some moves, and I think uh, I think they may not even be done with starting pitching. I think they 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 were looking into Carlos Rondon, um, mm. even after signing Scherzer. So, um, yeah. They, I mean, they, I, I'm very hopeful. I mean. I, I mean, we uh, the last few decades under the the, the Wilpons have have been, just been awful. The team mm-hmm. has been, you know, I mean, they would just refuse to spend any money, uh, and you know, they were always trying to get under the luxury tax threshold, um, and you know, it was just a poorly, uh, you know, uh, you know, the team was just the front office was just, you know disorganized and dysfunctional um for so many years so now they they're starting to really put their act together um although you know there have been moments of doubt like that that the whole Stephen matt's controversy i i i mean i i don't really think that steve cohen really should have gone on twitter to complain about losing Stephen matt's like there <laughs> yeah that was other, something <laughs> there were other things you know like that that like like seriously i mean i know Stephen. i know they wanted Stephen matt's but you know, is that really what you're hanging your hopes on? At that, and this is before the Scherzer signing, so obviously, you know, like we didn't know they were going to get Scherzer at that time when uh, when the whole when this whole thing unfolded with Stephen Matz. But I'm like, why is Stephen Matz that important? Like he's like your number. He's like he he's like a mediocre like four number four starter and or fifth starter on any decent team. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like why why would you want Steve? <laughs> you know, why would you get so upset about Stephen? Matt's. I, I know you got really upset. Yeah, yeah. it was surreal <laughs> to a see. Of rage to <laughs> breaking Twitter and everything. I, just, so. I imagine him with his phone, just you know, <laughs> slapping the key, the, the the touch screen on Twitter, you know, as he's tweeting these things out. But were you, um, in general, I mean, what was your take on? Were you happy with the Buck Show Walter signing as a manager? Do you are you content? Were you looking for someone else? What do you, what's your take on that? Um, I'm content. I like. I I, I think you know like. Uh, I know, you know, he's kind of an old school manager, which I think is what the, the you know, the Mets kind of need. They need someone with experience. They need someone who's who's sort of, you know, going to be respected. I mean, I, I, I mean, I like Luis Rojas. Um, you know, I, I think he, he does have potential to, to grow into, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, being a good manager. Mm-hmm. But I think what the problem with Luis Rojas is I think that the players sort of regarded him more as a peer. And sure. then he, he didn't really, um, you know, like um, he, he didn't really manage with any urgency like when the Mets still had a shot um to to you know make a playoff run he he kind of still played every game as if it was like you know the second week of April or something you know like and and like you know when you had games where you really needed to win he 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 just was very lackadaisical so uh you know I think you know at the end of the day I mean he he was a valuable valuable member of, of the organization for for a long time like you know he had um you know uh, I think an analytic role um, prior to him being a manager. So I know he, he went to, he's now the Yankees third base coach, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, he, I mean, I, I have nothing against him personally. I think he's, you know, he was, he, I, I just think he didn't have the experience and it shows. So I think sure. getting, getting someone like Buck Walter who has the experience, has the respect of the players, um, you know, is going to go a long way. And yeah, I, I and I, I think um, they just signed um, Eric Chavez to be the hitting coach. Yep. They yes, did. I yeah. saw that today. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so, uh, so that seems pretty promising, and they're looking for a bench coach. Um, you know, I, th- I think the rumor is, that, you know, basically they they want a younger, more analytics-driven bench coach to sort of counterbalance uh, Buck Showalter, who's more of an old-school, you know, old, you know, uh, manager. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm I'm happy, you know, so far with what I see. Um, you know, I mean, as with any, you know, being a Mets fan for for you know this many years, they're, they're always like peaks and valleys and the highs are really high and the lows are really low uh so i i feel like we're we're at least um you know there's at least a light at the end of the tunnel whereas in you know uh, you know before the steve cohen you know taking over the ownership of the mets before that when it was the wool ponds i it, it felt like you know we would be in the abyss forever um <laughs> so um at least so i am hopeful now excellent yeah that's i mean Nothing but the best. It's uh, and that NL East, the more competitive it is, the more exciting it is to watch. So uh, that would be great to see them, you know, make a run. So, all right, go ahead, Vinny. Yep, uh, Jack, uh, Justin, and I are both Cub fans, and uh, the Mets and the Cubs kind of have some ties uh, starting midseason last year when the Cubs uh, traded Trevor Williams and Javi Baez to the Mets for. Pete Crow Armstrong, um, and then now the the Cubs signing Marcus Stroman uh, in the offseason adds even more ties to the Mets and the Cubs. Um, is there any insight you can give us on Stroman? Uh, you know what what Cub fans should expect from him, and maybe something that you know Cub fans don't know from just reading the the stats on him. Um, Stroman is a decent pitcher. Like I, I, I think, um, you know, he, he does, get, he does get combative on Twitter. Like I never tweeted him, you know, or anything, but I've seen other fans who like, you know, they'll get pissed off you know, after a start or something and they'll tweet something out and he'll, he'll like go at it with them. Uh, so like, <laughs> or he'll block them <laughs> and then, and then they, and then you get to see them complain about being blocked. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but, but he's actually, I mean, he was, he was consistent. Like he, he actually, you know, he, uh, I think like the Mets problem over the last couple of seasons was the seasons was, has been offense. So like, you know, he would have decent starts and the Mets offense just would not, you know, um, uh, he score runs for him. So like, you know, he, he probably shouldn't have had as many losses as he had. Um, and you know, like he, he can give you a solid, you know, six or seven innings every start. So like he's, he's actually pretty reliable and dependable in that way. So I, I think Cub fans will, will be happy with him. Um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I knew that every time Stroman started that it, you know, it was going to probably be a close game and it, and if yeah, it all depended really on, on the Mets offense. So like, I, I didn't really have doubts about Stroman. I was just like, okay, he has to, he can't let them score more than two runs. Other <laughs> it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was my feeling on Stroman. Like, I, I think he's a decent pitcher. So I, I, you know, um, I wish him luck. Nice. Good. Cause yeah, we need start. We're going to need it. <laughs> it it was definitely a surprise signing in uh, Chicago. One that was really welcome, and I was like, certainly like, wow, that is okay, that is something." So, getting a name like him, so super excited about that. Um, Jack, do you want to give us any uh, your final thoughts on Javi Baez's tenure? That's uh, <laughs> like it was kind of all over the place. Um, but yeah, what was your reaction, and I guess what you've been, I guess, hearing from other Mets fans. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the Mets fans aren't too thrilled with him. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he has, I mean, he actually has a pretty decent stat line, you know, like he had, you know, like he, on paper, he actually, um, you know, put up some decent numbers, but, but there were just too many of those inconsistencies. And, uh, you know, obviously he had a few moments where he blew up. There was first, it was that, that whole thing that became a meme where he like swung at a ball that was like way out in front, like wasn't even anywhere close. <laughs> and that became like a, like a, like a, a meme. And then, then you had the whole thumbs down controversy. Which, yeah. That was something <laughs> which was, you know, like, I, I think everyone sort of overreacted to, but at the same time, it's like, you don't want to see a player give, thumbs down to the fans that are trying to cheer him on you know it's like like, come on like seriously like don't you have you know like and then to actually tell the media that that's what you're doing Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean so it just like poor judgment and stuff so i i mean it was you know he was he was with us for a few months (laughs) and now he's gone and i'm not that sad that he's gone to be honest (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely, I mean, we knew the Cubs were selling off right there, but his whole time in New York, I mean, we, we continued to follow him. I mean, it was, it wasn't hard to follow him. No, kind of all over Twitter, all over sports news or whatever, just all the ups and downs and um, getting back. I think that kind of, I think that kind of what you said before, Jack, about Luis Rojas uh, being the manager, I think with Buck. Um, I think a lot of you know the shenanigans that went on with the Mets last year. I think that'll be kind of held more under control with Buck Showalter, a guy who kind of has more command of a clubhouse. Oh yeah, uh, like I guarantee you saying, that if Buck was managing, I don't think that whole thumbs down thing would have yeah would never happen. Yeah, yeah. No. So yeah, yeah I, and and like I, I saw the Tigers signed him for like. I think six years, $140 million. So I'm like, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, six years, $140. That sounds about right. <laughs> oh, no, it's $140 million. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, he, 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 definitely got a de- he definitely got a decent paycheck. I didn't see the Tigers on that. For, for a while there, I was like, oh, is he going back to the Mets or something? Or is he going to be a White Sox? But oh, lo and behold, it was the Tigers. So um, I want to... You were talking about uh, you kind of um, growing up as a Mets fan, Jack, and you you first got me onto the um, the ESPN Thirty for Thirty documentary, uh, Once Upon a Time in Queens, which covers um, which mainly covers the uh, World Series champion nineteen eighty six Mets. It's a four part um, film. It was, it was really it was fantastically done, um, and I just finished it. I finished the last part a couple weeks ago. Um, and like I said, I, I truly loved it. It was so interesting. Learned a lot, um, especially the, the, the amount of interviews that were in, um, this document. I mean, it had, I mean, just the name, I mean, um, some of the bigger names, Keith Hernandez, Daryl Strawberry, uh, Doc Good, Mookie Wilson, Lenny Dykstra, all of his stuff. Um, but uh, Kevin Mitchell, <laughs> Wally like Beckman, the, yeah, yeah. The, but the amount of interviews in this uh, was great. And just the just the honesty, uh, these guys were just open to sharing uh, just about um, about about just about anything. So like, it was truly well done. Um the three of us obviously weren't around in uh, 86. Jackie, you were very uh, young at this age. Um, so just kind of just kind of t- 
tell us what you remember. I kind of want to hear your perspective on the season, what you remember, what you remember, and specifically the uh, famous um, World Series uh, Game Six. Yeah. Um, like you said, I think you said you were seven or eight at the time, but I was, uh, yeah, I was. I would have been around seven years old. Yeah. Okay, but the last, the last part of the, the last part of the, um, the, uh, the documentary kind of focused on the, uh, the fans' perspective. So I'd like to hear your, uh, your kind of recap of, of that. Yeah, I mean, it was a phenomenal season. Like, I, I, like every, um, my dad actually, um, you know, um, he VHS, yeah, he had, he had the VHS recorder, um, and he oh, would yeah, take, he would take the games. And a lot of times that's how I get to see it. Um, and actually, that's how I got to see game six because, um, my mom made me go to sleep the night of game six because oh, like, no. that game you know went i think past midnight yeah you know, and, and uh you know she she was like you know oh well no it's time for bed you have to go you know and i was like i tried to argue with her and like you know I, to no avail so i, I was actually I, I missed game six because of my mom uh <laughs> telling me to go to bed and so I, I ended up watching it the next day and then like um he actually had that setup where you had two vhs players stacked on top and then you would uh, record um a, put a blank tape on one and then put a tape uh, to record uh, and then there were there were two Mets documentaries that he ended up making putting on that tape at that time which was one was on like the um, from 1962 to 1985 Mets um, and then one was specifically on the 86 season. Uh, and, and, and we would watch those like every, every year, like as baseball season started, that would be like a tradition to watch those, the, those two documentaries. Um, it was just like growing up in Queens, like, yeah, I felt like, you know, if you're into baseball, uh, the way I was, and you know, I was in little league and stuff. I, yeah, yeah, you had to be a Mets fan, you know. <laughs> um, so I, following that team, I mean, that team, you know, it, it, it definitely, you know. It brings back so many memories. Like my mom, in the documentary, they talk about how they made that um, that um, that um, let's go Mets, let's go Mets video, yeah, the video and the song. Like I remember, my mom bought bought that vinyl album and <laughs> we played that <laughs> and would listen to that. To that. Uh, it was just, uh, you know. So we, I mean, we, and we would obviously, you know, watch the games at night. I mean, my, my parents were divorced, so I would, you know. You know, watch. You know, if my as long as my mom let me stay up, I would stay up. But then, like the next day or the next weekend, I would. You know, sometimes my dad would have a VHS tape, so I'd go over to my dad's place, and we'd watch. Uh, you know, a, a game that he recorded on the VHS, and you know, we'd, we'd sit and watch and sit and watch the game. And he would, and he was a big Keith Hernandez fan. And like in the documentary, it shows how Keith Hernandez was. You know, like uh, like almost a manager on the field because. Yeah. He, Mm-hmm. He basically, you know, coached those players, the other mm-hmm. players, Daryl Strawberry in particular. I mean, there's the the great segment where like Daryl Strawberry was up at bat in a, in a very pivotal moment, and Keith Hernandez tells him to keep his shoulder down, and you know, he kept his shoulder down, followed his yep. instructions, and hit a home run. Um, you know, and then there was another moment where um, Jesse Roscoe was gasped, um, and like you know, they, they, they had been a really long game, and everyone just wanted 
wanted to get off the field. And like he said, you know, he, they had like a David Johnson, the manager at the time, didn't call, uh, uh, you know, a conference, a mound conference or anything. He just, you know, he, but, but Keith Hernandez did. And he went up to Jesse Roscoe and told him, you know, uh, you know, because he saw that he couldn't throw his fastball anymore. He's like, if you throw another fastball, I'll kill you. <laughs> and so like Jesse Roscoe from that point just threw sliders and ended up getting out of the inning and winning the game. Um, you know, just, I mean, this, that, that documentary just brought back so many memories of what it was like to be a Mets fan at that time and what New York was like at that time. Like, yeah. all the, all, you know, all, all the things that were going on in the city and, you know, some of the racial tension that was going mm-hmm. on. Uh, and, and obviously, and also some of the, the, the stories of the players, things that were going on behind the scenes, you know, players having sex with groupies in between. Yes. <laughs> all that. You know, Unbelievable. All the, all the drugs and all that. And it was such a dangerous sort of like time. And it was just, uh, but it was like, it was sort of, considered just rebellious and like irreverent uh, fun you know and obviously now it would all seem very problematic to have a group of players on the team you know uh acting that way but back then it was just sort of like you know part of like the way things were and and the i mean obviously i as a kid as a seven-year-old kid i wasn't aware of all this stuff so uh that's also why the documentary sort of uh, you know appealed to me because you, you get to sort mm-hmm. of see you know what it you know you get a new perspective into things um but yeah i remember just you know i mean loving the game of baseball as a kid and you know watching you know those games and looking forward to seeing those players on the field i mean you know and they, they you know here and then like you see com- gary carter in commercials and you know and all that stuff and um you know i, I it, it was just a really um you know I, I mean it's a time that i you know have a lot of nostalgia for uh jack would you i mean obviously with the documentary they they talk about the mets are struggling the city is going bankrupt they trade away tom Seaver. you know there's this rogues and rogues and rebels mantra that's kind of going around with the team it kind of gets everybody wrapped up they get excited um i I feel like with being a chicago and it's you know, the, the 90s Bulls were great. Everybody has fond memories of those. The 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 2010, you know, for those that were hockey fans, those were great for Hawks fans because the three Stanley Cups. The 2016 Cubs, you know, people look back fondly on that, but they just, they choked afterwards. It was just a nightmare. But the, the one team that no one in this city will ever shut up talking about, and I can't speak for the other two, but I am so <laughs> tired of hearing about the 85 Bears. One, because I wasn't alive yet. And two, it's like that was almost, Almost 40 years ago now, we need to move on. They've been horrible for about three decades now. But uh, that long-winded, you know, mantra there. But do you see, was the the 86 Mets, is that the equivalent of like the the 85 Bears in New York? Or or was there another team in New York City that kind of captured everyone's emotions, like kind of like how the 85 Bears were? 30, 40 years later, people still don't shut up about this team, even though it, there's so much time that's been going on. Well, the, the 80s, the thing about the 86 Mets is, uh, yeah, obviously they, they, uh, it's been well documented that they struggled with addiction yes. and substance abuse issues and all that stuff. Um, but they actually, I mean, even though they floundered in 87, they actually made it to the NLCS in an 88. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went up against the Dodgers and that's, you know, the Dodgers ended up beating them in a game seven. So, I mean, they came very close in 88 and then after 
after 88, things just sort of trip. Yeah, went off the rails. Yeah. Um, so, like, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I remember, like, I mean, I don't have, you know, I remember my grand, my, my grandfather really rooting for the, for that 88 team until they faced off against the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, then it changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he rooted for the Dodgers and I was like, you know, kind of upset with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and, but, but then obviously, uh, you know, the Dodgers went to that World Series and then you had that famous Wade Boggs running the bases with the pump. Uh, the fist pump, yeah. Fist yep, pump yep. And, yep. <laughs> and, you know, that became an iconic moment. That's what everyone remembers now from 88, you know, from baseball in 88. Uh, but, but that 88 team was, was good. It's just that they, they um, you know, there were too many issues on and off the field that sort of, like, kept them from you know and and also like they couldn't really keep that team together i mean you see in the documentary after they won the 80, the, the the championship um you know the general manager um just didn't want to keep that team together like he didn't really he didn't sign ray knight um a, they they decided to go with howard johnson at third base yeah. yeah i mean the mets fans still love howard johnson to this day but ray knight really should have been able to finish his career with the mets right um, yeah. you know, uh, and like, you know, uh, it, it, it just was mismanaged, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, and then obviously, you know, and, and the nineties became the decade of the Yankees. Yeah, for um, sure. And then of course, you know, the famously they had the subway series in 2000 and yeah. uh, the Mets that, that 2000 Mets team was a great team, but they didn't get very, you know, the world series only lasted, but five, you know, they yeah. only won the, the one game. So, it only went five games, so I, I feel like I would have been okay losing to the Yankees if they, uh, if the Mets had maybe taken it to a game six or a game sure. seven. Um, but the, the, to lose in five games, is, you know, like it sort of like lets the air out of the, the bubble. I just I can't imagine how exciting for the city of New York to have that Subway Series. I know, like if if the Cubs and Sox met in the World Series, I think part of the city would burn itself to the ground. I don't know how you feel about it, Greg, but like there's there's such I don't I can't speak for the Mets and Yankees, but there is such a a deep seated not I don't know would you call it a hatred between the two teams fan bases in some instances or no I, think, I don't know I think I think it would heat up if it was if we did have a cross town uh, world series, world series yeah. I know I know who would love it since you brought it up Justin I know I've mentioned it to you guys but my dad would He loves both teams right because he loves because he loves anything Chicago and the man is so the man is da- like physically and mentally damaged from all the Chicago losing especially the Bears the man was a nervous wreck in 05 uh, when the White Sox were uh, in the World Series. He did not watch a single game because he couldn't take it if they lost. In 2016, he couldn't handle it if the um, if the we couldn't watch the Cubs games. He actually had to leave my house once because the Cubs were oh, I, we, we had the Cubs on. So I was rocking in the fetal position that yeah, night. He couldn't, he couldn't he couldn't take it. So if, was that if, the, the Steve Bartman game? He must have had the you know. Uh, no, see, getting back to 03 J, he he did watch that for oh. some. I remember I was watching the game with my dad when that happened, and it was it was a little bit confusing at first, and I think more of the the Bartman stuff kind of, uh, kind of like came forth the next day, and we, all of a sudden we knew where this guy worked. We knew where he lived. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> that got scary. He really had quick. To, he had to. He was pretty much. He had to evacuate Illinois um, within 24 hours after for that aftermath. Yeah, because I was curious about how, how you guys reacted to Steve Bartman at the time. Uh, the, that whole- I. 
I don't know, Vinny, I don't know how you felt about it, but I just it, it was one of those immediately I felt like Moises Alou, if he wouldn't have had that animated reaction where he's throwing yeah. his hands up, I don't think anyone makes a big deal about it. it honestly, I kind of felt bad for the guy. I think he got pigeonholed. Anybody in that position is going to grab for that ball. I mean, there were people over there that were all pointing fingers at him. But then you yeah. look back at the tape. They were all grabbing, too. They so were it was all, just yep. luck of the draw. Yeah. If anything, I'm almost glad it didn't happen in today's society because he would have been crucified with social media. People, I mean, granted, we had what? MySpace maybe in 2003. I don't remember. But um, people trying to find out where, he, you know, docking, doxing him and stuff like that, finding where he lived and his employer yeah. and all that. And. Yeah, I, f- I feel bad for the guy. Like he really got the the, the short end of the stick. I don't yeah. know, Vinny. I know you're the other Cubs fan on the show. I, what what was your take on all that? Yeah, I totally bought into the whole bargain. <laughs> <laughs> it was it happened in the moment. I I was freaking out. I'm like, what are you doing, grabbing for that? Yeah, ball? yeah. Come on, you're wearing Cubs gear. Why are you doing this? Just stand there and let the ball hit you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They had the double play ball that they should have turned. And yep, Alex that. Gonzalez. Yeah. And, and as soon as that happened, I I, I knew instantly. Oh, there. it's over. It's it's done. <laughs> I didn't even watch Game Seven because I knew they weren't going to win. I, I <laughs> whatsoever. Momentum shifted. <laughs> oh, it it changed in a heartbeat. I think I can't remember. I can't remember what documentary it was, but I want to say was it Derek Lee and Ivan Rodriguez, <laughs> Pudge Rodriguez. One of them turned to the other one and said, "All right, we're going to make that kid famous." Or maybe it was Gary Sheffield. I don't remember if he was playing in Florida at that point, but they they were determined to to turn the tide at that point. Which man, thank God for sixteen. Otherwise, I think I'd still be living in 03. So <laughs> a lot of Cubs fans still are living in 03. Yeah, that, that's yeah, they, they haven't let oh, that go yet. No, they haven't. <laughs> There's a lot of weird Cubs fans. <laughs> Um, Jack, um, so you kind of touched on it, um, but kind of, I guess, uh, after the 86 team went on, uh, to play well, but they never captured another NL pennant. Um, and then most of the players ended up being released by 1990. Um, you know, many of the dealings with the, the personal issues and management was making financial decisions, but, uh, many of the players were saying that the spring training, uh, 87, it didn't feel the same in the clubhouse. You know, how heavy did the Mets craze die down in the following seasons after the world series, or was it still going strong? I know for, you know, Cub fans in 2016, you know, it's kind of similar, you know, we won the world series and then it's, you know, seemed to kind of go downhill after that. Um, and you know, they got close the season after, but then, after that, it just it wasn't near nearly the same. Disappointment. So I guess yeah. How heavy was that Mets craze after uh, the '86 season? I remember it. You know, like honestly, I I, I know like in hindsight, um, it does feel like it trailed off. But uh, you know, I, I I remember being just as enthusiastic about the '87 team and the '88 team and the '89 team. Um, you know, as I was, you know, because they, you know, you always had that hope in the air, uh, at the start of every season. So, like, you know, it wasn't until, the, and like I said, they they did come close in '88. They got to that game yeah. seven NLCS game. So, you know, there, you know, the, the the thing is that we didn't all sort of realize the the the, the obstacles that the players were dealing with, you know, on and off, you know, off the field, um, with the, especially with Daniel Strawberry and Dwight mm-hmm. their yeah addiction issues and stuff. I know, I think at the start of the 87 season, you know, uh, I think it was a doc, I think it was Gooden who went into rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
you know, so like they they had um, they had to deal with those <clears throat> problems on a personal level that I think the fans weren't necessarily, or even though we were aware of it, we knew that they had drug problems. I don't think we really sort of realized the scope of, and we didn't really have a good understanding of addiction. Like you know, That's when, true. When, when you really you know at that time you you sort of blamed the addict for being an addict and sort of instead of sort of realizing, well, no, this is a person who needs help and addiction is, is a real disease that, you know, yeah. that, you know, as a society, we need to be, you know, you know, get them the tools to sort of help them rather than judge them and sort of blame them. So I, I, and I, and I feel like even the front office sort of, you know, put it in that perspective of like blaming the, the, the players as individuals, which I think is what was the wrong thing to do. Um, you know, and they each, you know, the, I mean, obviously we right, couldn't, you know, went on to pitch for the Yankees and pitched no hitter and stuff. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, Daryl Strawberry also went to the Yankees and had success there too. So like, you know, they, they all sort of overcame their demons, but it, it, you know, as a fan at the, you know, as a, especially as a kid at that time, you, you wanted them to win now. And like, you know, um, you don't realize sort of the struggles that they that they were going through, um, and I, I sent um, uh, Greg a, a photo. I, eventually, I, we I did end up meeting Daryl Strawberry because he opened up a restaurant. Um, this I think this is after he appeared on The Apprentice. He opened up his restaurant a restaurant in Queens, and we would we would go there and um, like my wife and I. And this was my son, you know, had just been born. Um, I went there with my with my mom and uh, my wife and, and Tommy and stuff and. Uh, we would go there regularly. They had a great like pulled pork uh, nachos dish that we. Would, <laughs> oh, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, that we would always look forward to having. And a few years later, the restaurant closed and stuff. But but we would go there regularly. It was nice to meet him. And then I did end up uh, going to a signing that that Dwight Gooden did um, uh, a few a few a few years after that. Uh, and and then at that time, I think it was after Gary Carter passed away because I had like a Gary Carter like tribute shirt on, and he he actually said, "Oh, I like that shirt," and uh, and so that was a nice moment, you know. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. awesome. Wow. <laughs> so it was it was cool. Yeah, I mean, and and then obviously, um, you know, um, Keith Hernandez uh, and Ron Darling are the com color commentary com color yeah. commentators for the Mets games um, on SNY uh, here in New York and New Jersey. Yeah, uh, so um, you get to hear them cover the Mets games, and uh, it's great to hear their insights and stuff. Um, yeah, no, I, I, so yeah, it, it's. I mean, I, I just, I just found the documentary really fascinating to sort of you know get that sort of behind the scenes sort of perspective into uh, what things were like then for the, for, for the players. And uh, it's sort of, yeah, I mean, it brought back a flood of memories. <laughs> I will, I will say Jack, when I was watching it, I think the three most um, honest and open uh, interviews uh, that were part of the documentary were um, Doc Gooden, Daryl Strawberry and Keith Hernandez, you know, Keith opening up about his relationship with his father and everything was all yeah. very, you know, it was all very, you know, shocking almost. I didn't um, know that. Like, like yeah. Keith Hernandez would call his father every after every at bat, and his father would sort of yeah. judge him and tell him what he was doing wrong. If it's he was unbelievable, yeah. Wow. It, it, he got it got to the point where he blew up at his father. It's like yeah. you know, and stopped talking to his father. Uh, you know, and like I, you know, and like in the documentary, it's like no other player got you know went to the, the phone after every at bat to call their dad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, like. Uh, 
it was just, and then yeah, obviously you know Dwight Gooden, Dallas Rory, and and even Lenny Dykstra was, you know, was Lenny Dykstra was an incredible in this uh, in in this documentary. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he's 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 probably the most candid. He 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 curses the most. Like like um, you know, luckily because I think on the um on the original broadcast they 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 didn't censor out the cursing. Yeah. So, I, so I made sure to DVR that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think in subsequent broadcasts they they did ended up censoring a lot of that out. Um. So um. But yeah. No. I, I mean, it's. I, I mean, he he just, you know. I mean, just he was just a wild character, and I know him also because yeah, in recent years he's been on the Howard Stern show. Yeah, like he he, he talks about like you know like basically he talks about conolingus a lot on, on the Howard Stern show. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, so like it's just here you know hearing him, it's you know you well, never know what you're gonna get when you're exactly. Well, hearing him talk about baseball too was yeah. super surprising. I mean, because I think I felt like all this. Out of all this group, I think he's like served the most time, maybe out of out of all these guys. Um, but um, yeah, just hearing what a what a smart baseball uh, guy he is too was uh, really because he would talk, you know, he would kind of talk like on field, you know, stuff and everything, and you know, yeah. situational baseball. I mean, albeit very brief, but uh, he was very he was very charismatic. I thought throughout the um for his uh, portions of the um of the interviews, but. One moment I wanted to bring up to you, Jake, and I thought it was Doc Gooden's, you know, most uh, dramatic emotional moment of the um, of the documentary. It was when he was explaining how he uh, missed the World Series parade because immediately after they won the World Series, the first phone call he made uh, or one of the one of the first two phone calls he made was to his um, his drug dealer, his cocaine dealer. Mm. And he was he was, you know, out of commission uh, the next morning and missed the parade. And when they kind of zoomed in on him on his interview, you could tell like that really that was a that was a moment of realization uh, in his life. It was it was very it was very shocking and very powerful. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, that was definitely an eye opening moment. And yeah, like there are there are a lot of moments like that in the, in the documentary yeah. that like you like even as a fan, uh, there, there was stuff that I learned that I didn't know before. And uh, I, I knew about Dwight Gooden missing the, the, the parade and stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's ever really gone on record the like he did there. Yeah. Uh, sort of describing where he was and like sort of and and really confronting, you know, what it is to sort of miss miss the parade and stuff. Um, you yeah, know, obviously he did experience that success with the Yankees years later. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure for him it wasn't the same as that. Uh, it, you know, initial and also um, that '86 season was sort of like a mediocre season for him. You know, like it yeah, off of the the '85 and '84 season where he was unhittable almost. Right. You know, yeah. And for him, like he was, he was okay that season. Like he, he was yeah. terrible, but he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't sort of. He didn't live up his to old self. Yeah, yeah. And that had to do with his, you know, with his addiction problems and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, it, it was just really, you know, um, for anyone who hasn't sort of checked out that documentary yet, uh, yeah, definitely look for it on, you know, it's that ESPN. Uh, 30 for 30 uh, mm-hmm. uh once upon a time in, in queens uh, it, it's it's a really great documentary i know when i i think i speak for 
all of us uh, or the three of us when I say that I think our extensive knowledge of the 86 Mets came from uh, Seinfeld. Yeah, that was pretty uh, much with, it. Yeah, uh, With Keith Hernandez, uh, <laughs> Roger, Roger McDowell, and, <laughs> the magic uh, loogie and the and um, the um, the obviously the famous uh, Bill Buckner uh, botched uh, ground ball. So that that was about it. So definitely learn a lot about um about this team and about this season it was all real interesting almost like a whole cast of uh of a movie star guys <laughs> on a on a baseball team so uh but um uh yeah like i said uh, keith hernandez up until this point was uh his his two episodes on seinfeld, seinfeld yeah. Magic yeah, so. yeah well yeah I, obviously i love those episodes i mean i'm a big seinfeld fan so um, <laughs> you yeah, know I, I, I remember when those episodes came out i was like oh yeah <laughs> and obviously that coincided with the whole jfk um you know uh, mm-hmm. yeah it, yeah stuff. the kevin costner uh, film yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um yeah i mean I, I, and that i mean the you know it was funny like I, i'm surprised he didn't do more um like little cameos yeah like yeah he was uh, good in he, it he, he was good in it so, yeah. <laughs> um so like i said if you haven't uh seen that yet uh once upon a time in queens uh four-part espn uh 30 for 30 film uh extremely well done um before we let you go here jack i just want to ask you um and thank you again for coming on obviously um, getting back to your Mets currently, if we ever, you know, get out of this lockout, you know, hopefully, you know, looks like at this point we might be losing games. But uh, is there a is there another move or two you'd like to see the Mets uh, make uh, whenever that uh, that moment comes comes forth? I suppose uh, I would like. I mean, the Mets could always use bullpen help, so I would like to to sort yeah. of shore up the bullpen. Uh, I wouldn't mind getting Chris Bryant uh, if they if they do decide to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yes, cause I mean, you can always use hitting, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm feeling pretty confident about the lineup and, uh, and about the starting pitching. Um, and we'll see if they, they do add Rondon or, or someone else to the starting rotation. Um, and I think, uh, Trevor Williams might end up either, uh, as like the fifth starter, or he might end up in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're, they're talking about bringing back familiar, Juris Familia. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, so that, that would be a good move for them to do. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I, I definitely would like to see them, uh, improve the bullpen. Well, the Mets have definitely been uh, one. We're definitely one of the more interesting, uh, exciting teams before the lockout. So hopefully, yeah. we'll get to talk about some moves all around baseball uh, uh, coming up here soon. But uh, I guess we'll see how that goes. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm hoping the lockout ends. I, I, I hope we don't lose games. I, that would be yeah, I hope not either. We'll mm-hmm. see though. No, especially when we just do a we do a baseball podcast. It's like perfect timing. It's like, uh, yeah, well, great. Well, you get to to rant about the lockout. If that that's happens. true, that's true. And if, if there's one thing we do well here, it's rant about things that uh, yep. that's that's one of our our claim to fames. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you have a baseball podcast, and then you you get to have, you know, do episodes about how there's no baseball. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <much>. Exactly. <laughs> Um, Jack, so you're a big New York Giants fan, and uh, the the Bears just uh, handed the Giants a good oh, yeah. long 29-3 <laughs> last Sunday when the, the Giants had to throw a, a Mike Glennon out there. The <laughs> uh, 
But the Bears are they're they're going to be cleaning house this this off season. Supposedly, that's what we're that's all the reporting is being going. <laughs> is we house? can only hope, right? <laughs> What, what's the outlook like for the Giants this offseason? Are they set to make some big changes? Because they, they didn't have a good season at all. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Uh, <laughs> the Giants are not. It's, it's actually kind of unusual because, like, usually if you're a Mets fan, you're automatically a Jets fan. But I, I grew up being a Mets and Giants fan. Um, so, I mean, I, I actually I don't hate the Jets. Um, so, I, 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 if they're successful, yeah, which they haven't been. <laughs> so, if they're successful i wouldn't complain like i i i wouldn't mind seeing the jets do well but um you know uh yeah i've been a, a, a it's been uh you know not fun being a giants fan. <laughs> uh, especially i think oh, since like 2017 i think the jets and the giants have the same record or, or the jets might even be better actually <laughs> Um, it's hard to tell, but I'm actually, I actually, the Jets look more promising than the Giants because I feel like, uh, Zach Wilson, uh, you know, like he has the, the potential is there, whereas I don't feel that with Daniel Jones. Um, you know, like I, I don't feel like the Giants really have, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm not very confident in Daniel Jones as, as <laughs> the future of the franchise quarterback and stuff uh, yeah whereas i think jack wilson has that potential yeah if he has the right receivers and you know they they build a team around him they, they could the jets could end up going somewhere i i just i don't see that much hope for the giants i mean they they need to improve the offensive line and you know give daniel jones a chance but i think even when he has a chance he he's he, he's, he telegraphs his throws like i i, I feel like defenders they, 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 it's very easy to defend against him because he, you can always tell you know which uh, receiver he's reading you know yeah i saw i don't know if you guys saw it, i saw a meme on twitter of mike glennon and it was his career earnings from each team and it was just his neck getting longer and longer <laughs> and more earnings. i was about to say yeah the thing I, mike glennon is they, they make fun of his yeah they call him a giraffe and yeah I, I feel bad but then i looked at how much money he's made i'm like ah, oh, you can make fun of anything he's, about made, he's, you want. he's made some decent decent coin in the i think it was like 60 so, to 70 million yeah. he's made over his career and you're like not good from the bears yeah yeah the bears were a big part of that (laughs) that's what makes it the worst um i I guess in in closing jack is there anything you'd like to plug any shows anything coming up you'd like to tell our listeners and hopefully they'll go check you out um basically um yeah if you haven't uh checked out bond and banter yet uh you know uh yeah, um, I, I don't know when I'm gonna because I took a break for the holidays and um, I, you know sort of uh, just still kind of you know recovering and getting you know getting into the new year. So I don't yeah. know when I'll do new episodes. But but if you haven't checked out Bond and Banter yet, there's there's about thirty episodes worth. Uh, you know, check it out. We talk Bond, we talk other you know movies and books and music, and uh, check out uh, you know JBR. Um, they're they're also on a little bit of uh, of a hiatus. I, I'm not sure when that podcast is coming back but they um but you know there are some fantastic discussions on no time to die uh that they've done recently um and uh there was one that i was a part of and then there was also another one they did after afterwards that included more people who didn't like the film and that's even more fun (laughs) (laughs) i can imagine and that was that was a four-hour episode when i uh 
<laughs> when I just got done listening to. So that was definitely a, um, a stretch right there. Yeah, but yeah so, there were just so, a little more negativity on that one. Yeah. But, uh, so I was a part of a, a group that was like more in favor of, uh, and it just worked out like it wasn't on purpose. Like, they, you know, basically they just, whoever was available that day got to be on the podcast. And like, you know, it just happened to be like four guys who, who kind of liked the film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then like, you know, then people started complaining. Oh, well, why does every, why did you have only people who liked the film on so they did another episode of you know people who are more dissenters and more were more uh, uh yeah. more negative reactions to the film uh which is great to hear like i actually enjoy hearing you know different perspectives and stuff yeah and, you know it's kind of boring it would be boring if like everyone liked the same thing For sure. um so um so yeah definitely uh, um check out james bond radio and uh bond and banter Awesome. Excellent. Um, well, I mean, again, if you guys, if anyone's listening, they'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at baseball, whatever at gmail.com or our official podcast network email is baseball, whatever podcast at bellyupsports.com. You can go to facebook.com slash baseball and whatever. You can find us on Twitter at baseball and what I, th- I think that's everything. I don't, I feel like I've, I say that so many times. It's it's starting to lose all meaning. I don't know. Uh, I think you've just got it memorized. Uh, yeah, it, pretty it, much. It, yeah, it, it flowed perfectly. So, so. I, I guess I don't know, Vinny, Greg. You guys got anything else to add before we wrap this up? Uh, go ahead, Vinny. I don't. Although I do have a, I guess a one more question. I guess this is for you, Greg and Jack. Um, so I, I've been getting into bond twitter and it was a sheriff jw pepper is that right yeah yeah so that that guy's a character on twitter and so i had to go watch some of his scenes in the bond movies and there was like a highlight clip of them i have to ask you guys what is with the slide whistle and the the jump of the car is that has that ever been discussed on why they did that? Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, it's it's full full episodes, Vinny, dedicated to that one scene. <laughs> really? Yeah, one of the greatest car stunts ever performed because you know this is it was all done for real. It, that, it was that all was, done for real. Yeah. This is all you know. Obviously, now you have CGI. There are ways to do that. Those kinds of stunts, you know. Uh, but but it's like they did it. They did a, a real. Uh, one of the best car stunts ever and they put a slide and it was uh, it was actually john barry who did the score who decided to put the slide whistle in and then he regretted it and uh, yeah um you know you, you know they asked him about it later on he's like yeah i shouldn't have done that um <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know uh, there are fans to this day who like they know when it's coming and they they mute their tv sets and, you know <laughs> they, they 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 mute the film at that exact moment for for like a few seconds to that so that they don't hear it um I, I to me it's just a part of the 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 film and stuff so i, I, I i've come to get used to it but yeah it's, it, i mean unfortunately it's one of the best car stunts ever and yeah. they decided to sort of tarnish it a little bit by adding a slide, <laughs> slide whistle <laughs> yeah it kind of takes away i mean some people are it kind of takes away the uh, believability of it because <laughs> trying to explain like no they actually did that they're like oh yeah with that silly little cartoon whistle in there or whatever and like you like you as many do people still talk about it yes it is this i mean it is if you get into some of the fans right here even these podcasts i mean there 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 will be segments episodes two hours plus dedicated 
to to just that scene and why it why it you know why it took place but uh, it's a good question though it's uh and he's he's, he's good at a uh, sheriff jw pip is, uh, is always good on twitter so and one of my favorite uh bond characters so hopefully he joins fun. bond and banter soon i'm hoping so yeah there we go. <laughs> excellent <laughs> greg you got anything else uh jack thank you so much yes, again thank for, you um for thank coming you. on and uh it was it was a lot of fun great to hear your perspectives on everything thank you for again uh for turning our attention to that documentary and um yeah I, it's uh hopefully we'll have you on again soon we know you're a big seinfeld fan now so we're gonna have to explore that oh, yeah. a little yeah. <laughs> a little Kirby, bit more you guys down like the Kirby line. too uh, Kirby enthusiasm. i just started watching it i'm enjoying it so far i never i missed the you know when it started a, a, yeah. a decade back I, I missed out on that so yeah i'm catching up on it as well so <laughs> I'm, I'm all about larry david now so i'm yeah. all in on it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Jack, thank you. Vinny, thank you. Greg, thank you. We will be back next week with your regularly scheduled podcast. Hopefully, if if all goes according to plan, I don't. I don't know. Um, otherwise, hopefully, I don't fall asleep. That's all right. <laughs> or I'm not ill. No worries. Yeah, that's that's the main thing. We don't need anybody yeah. ill. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> thanks again for listening, and we will see you guys all next week. Take care, everybody. Bye, everyone. <laughs>